Hello, and welcome to Kingwood United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining us today. Wherever you're listening from, and whatever service you're listening to, we strongly believe because of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, there is always more to life. My name is Pastor Jeremy Bass. It's good to be with y'all this morning. I'd like to start off just by apologizing. I have had this weather uh, wreck me with allergies. And so I may need to pause during the message to blow my nose or take a drink of water. Uh, I'm currently on three different allergy medicines. Uh, Scott, is that good for me to be on three different allergy medicines? Or, All right, I got the professional's approval, so that's what I'm going with. Uh, before we get started with the message, uh, I'd like to read a statement uh, from our pastoral team. You may have gotten an email this past Thursday from us. Uh, If not, check your junk folder. It might be in there. Uh, That's where my email that I get from the church got sent to. And so Bert's uh, reading a similar statement over in the sanctuary. Uh, But this past week, we sent you all an email. Uh, Come see me or Stacy, and we'd be glad to forward you the email uh, or discuss it further with you. But friends, like most things during this pandemic, we've noticed that the conversation around vaccines has become a polarizing issue. When someone has tested positive, the curiosity can quickly sound condemning when someone asks, were they vaccinated? Our first appeal to you is to not ask, inquire, or question if someone has been vaccinated or not when you hear that they are ill. Rather, would you lead with compassion to ask what that person might need, ask how they're doing, or asking how can you be praying for them? Friends, we would like, when you find out that someone is ill, to do three things for us to ask what they need and ask how you can be praying for them, Uh, to avoid looking for someone to blame and instead to pray for healing for everyone. And just to reiterate that last point again, to pray. Uh, Pray for the amazing first responders in the medical community who have been serving on the front lines of this pandemic for the past two years. Pray for those who are still enduring the pain from a COVID diagnosis or a COVID loss. It's been a difficult season for all of us. We believe that God calls us as his church to be people that are in the world but not of the world, Romans 12. We believe that talking with and about each other in grace and love is a biblical mandate that we find in Ephesians chapter 4. We believe that we are called to strive for unity in the body of Christ even as we have a diversity of opinions as we see in Romans chapter 14. When Jesus went through Galilee, he didn't ask where people got sick. He healed their illnesses, as we see in Matthew chapter 4, verses 23 through 24. And finally, we believe that we are called to be people who pray without ceasing. We are not seeking to pick a particular side of the conversation around vaccines. Our primary concern is how we treat one another in regards to these conversations. The Apostle Paul instructs the earlier church in Romans 14, verse 20, to not tear apart the work of God over the opinions about what you eat. That word is something that we need to hear today in the midst of our conversations across the different spectrums in our church as we process how to move from pandemic to endemic. Let's come together, church. The world desperately needs God's love and our witness to that love. That the way that we treat one another, friends, should be different than the way that we see the world treating one another. And so let our witness here within these walls be a witness of love to the world that surrounds us. On to the message. Um, I finished my ordination paperwork. It's good to be back with you all here today. 
I finished that uh, this coming Monday, so I had three weeks off from preaching, which was except for the emergency fill-in I had to do for Clint last Sunday. But other than that, it was really great to sort of uh, not say do the bare minimum for my job, but to uh, take some other things off my plate so I could focus on getting all that ordination paperwork done. And I am very happy it's done. I just got two more interviews left to do, and then I am home free, and I'm very excited. Should get ordained in May, which is great. Uh, my commissioning was virtual. It was a pre-recorded service, and my graduation from seminary was also a virtual service. So I'm really excited uh, for annual conference to be in person this next year and have a, I don't know, a threshold moment to actually celebrate. I'm really excited about that. We are in the middle of our sermon series called What We Believe, where we look at what are the core teachings of the Christian faith? What are the core teachings that we believe as followers of Christ? We've talked in previous weeks about our theologies of baptism and communion, our theology of scripture, and last week Stacy talked about what is God's plan of salvation? What's that common story that we see that is woven throughout the pages of scripture? And for the next three weeks, we're going to be focusing on the three different persons of the Trinity. We're going to do God the Father today, and then the Son next week, and then finally the Holy Spirit in two weeks. And so we're looking, what is each person of the Trinity, how does that contribute to our faith? But firstly, before we dive into God the Father, uh, we need to have a, a kind of an understanding of Trinity. I, I preached a sermon on Trinity back in November, if you're really curious and you want to go listen to it or you forgot all that I said. Don't worry, I'm going to recap it for you all very briefly. Because it's important to understand as we dive into God the Father that we're not diving into a separate God. We're not diving into like uh, Greek mythology where they have like Zeus, Hera, where they're very distinct person, where they're very distinct uh, gods, but rather we believe in Trinity, which is three persons, one essence. We have a Trinitarian understanding of the Godhead. Uh, my preaching professor in undergrad said, Each sermon is a hair's breadth away from being a heresy. It's one of my favorite quotes because what his point is that every message. I focus on kind of one aspect of the faith, and our faith is often balanced. There is, we believe that God is a God of grace, yet we also believe that God is a God of justice. And so we sort of hold those two things in balance with one another, but if I'm doing a sermon on grace, I'm not going to talk a lot about God's justice. If I do a sermon on justice, I'm not going to talk a lot about God's grace. And so when it comes to the Trinity, when we talk about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit that when we talk about each person of the Trinity, we have to fundamentally remember that they exist in eternal relationship with one another. That we are not tritheists. We don't believe that they are independent divine beings. We are not modalists, which is we don't believe that each person of the Godhead is sort of like putting on a mask or putting on a new face each time uh, the Godhead appears to us. I love this quote by St. Athanasius, and it's one of my go-to quotes uh, for describing the Trinity. It's actually the Athanasian Creed that he wrote. He says this about the Trinity, that we worship one God in Trinity and the Trinity in unity, neither blending their persons nor dividing their essence. For the person of the Father is a distinct person. The person of the Son is another and that of the Holy Spirit still another. But the divinity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one. Their glory equal and their majesty co-eternal. And so as we understand that as we're focusing on God the Father today, 
that there are still two other persons in the Trinity and that God the Father does not exist alone or in this bubble, but that he exists in eternal relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So God the Father. We see God the Father attested to by that name in Scripture. If you want to go through any of Paul's letters, Paul starts off most of his letters by saying, grace and peace to you, uh, to God our Father, or by God our Father, through Jesus Christ. It's almost how Paul starts every single one of his letters. Um, I'm going to flip these around in the slides. If you want to put up the 2 Corinthians 1 passage. This is an example of Paul's openings to one of his letters. He says this, Praise be to God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us all in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we have received ourselves from God. You see here, Paul's writing, he says, God the Father, and he makes a distinction between God the Father and God the Son. That there's a distinction between the, the, the Father, the first person of the Trinity, and the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. We also see Jesus, or Paul, describe uh, what the heart of the Father is like. Father of compassion. Father of comfort, who comforts us in our troubles. Uh, Paul paints this description of God the Father as this very loving Father towards us, his children. A common lie that many of us believe in the church is that the God of the Old Testament is a different God than the God of the New Testament. We believe the lie that the God of the New Testament is a God of love, compassion, and mercy, whereas the, the mean God of the Old Testament is one of wrath, anger, or judgment. What we tend to do is we tend to pin those negative attributes of God the wrath, the anger, the judgment, we tend to put those on God the Father. We tend to get that pinned on God the Father. And we put all the good attributes on Jesus. But Jesus has this to say in John's Gospel, <clears throat> chapter 14, starting in verse 1. Jesus says this about his relationship between uh, himself, the second person of the Trinity, and the first person of the Trinity, God the Father. Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. But Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough. But Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. 
Now here Jesus makes this explicit link between himself and the God of the Old Testament. He's talking to Jews here, to Jews who have read the Old Testament, who have read the scriptures. And Jesus is saying, you believe in the God that you've read in the scriptures of your youth. Believe in me also. Jesus is laying claim to the hold of divinity. Jesus, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, reveals the character of the Father, the first person of the Trinity. If we know Jesus and we know his character, we know the Father. Jesus reveals or uncovers the fullness of who God is. That the work of Jesus is also the work of the Father. Thanks again for joining us for today's message. We will return to the sermon in a moment, but first, we would like to ask for you to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. We believe God is doing some amazing things here at KUMC, and your feedback helps our church to reach new listeners that we wouldn't otherwise be able to reach. Now, let's get back to the work. Anyone who sees Jesus sees the Father because of that unity that exists within the Trinity. That there is just one divine essence in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. There is a unity. They have the same character. And so when Jesus, when we see Jesus heal the sick, when we see Jesus have compassion on people, when we see Jesus heal sinners, when we see Jesus forgive sinners, and when we see Jesus do all these wonderful things in the scriptures, we see God the Father as well, because Jesus reveals the character of God. And we see the same God in both Testaments. Jesus says this earlier in John's gospel. It's actually a cool parallel uh, to this passage, because Jesus is referring back to it in John 14. John 5, 36 says this, I have a testimony that is weightier than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to finish are the very works that I am doing. Testify that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has he himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. And catch this. You study the scriptures diligently. Because you think that in them you have eternal life. But these are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees there. And when Jesus is referring to the scriptures, he's referring to the Old Testament. Because nothing in the New Testament has been written. And so Jesus is saying, when you read the Old Testament, when you read the scriptures, they're all attesting to me. They're all pointing to me. And Jesus makes that cool parallel, or John makes that cool parallel in his gospel. Uh, You don't know the Father, here in verse 5. And then Jesus says, now that you've seen me in my fullness and my glory and who I am, you have seen the Father. And Jesus reveals the Father. And when we read the Old Testament in light of Jesus and who he says he is, and we take Jesus at his word, that the Old Testament scriptures point to him, You see the consistency of the character of God everywhere. We see in this passage that Jesus, that through Jesus we are made children of God. We are made children of God, made children of the Father, just like the Son. 
as the son of the father. We are brought up into that relationship. And so I'm going to briefly kind of go through some attributes of God the Father that I think we don't usually attribute to him but are equally due to him. And I'm going to be primarily using Old Testament scriptures just to show the consistency in, the gospel, in, the, in, the, in our biblical text. We see that the Father is compassionate. It says this in Psalm 103, verse 13 and 14. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed and he remembers that we are dust. At the father, it says here in the psalm, God, just like a father has compassion on his child, so too does the Lord have compassion on us. So too does God have compassion on us. So too does the father have compassion on us. And that Corinthians chapter we read earlier, Paul says, God, the father of all compassion. And we see the outflowing of God's heart of compassion in the world. We see that the father is a loving father. We see this in Deuteronomy. This is right before um, the law is given again in Deuteronomy. It says this in Deuteronomy 1. Then he said to you, this he being the Lord, do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you. As he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes and in the wilderness. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you. As a father carries his son all the way you went until you reach this place. The central theme of the Old Testament that we see repeated over and over again is remember what God did in Egypt. Remember how God was faithful to you. Remember how God had compassion on you. Remember how God loved you by rescuing your ancestors from Egypt. And here in Deuteronomy, it makes that explicit that God carried his people out of Egypt like a father carries his son. That is the love that God the Father has for his people. That is the love that God the Father has for us. It's loving image of a father coming to rescue their child. We see also that the father cares for us. Isaiah 43 says this, but now... This is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I, the Lord your God, The Holy One of Israel, your Savior, I gave Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead, since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you. That God the Father knows you by name. He cares for you deeply and closely. God the Father is close to us. And when we read this passage, one of my favorite practices to do is when you see the word you, insert your own name in there. I've called you by name, Jeremy. I've called you by name, Erica. I've called you by name, Mike. God the Father calls us by our name. There's an intimacy and a care that comes with that. That he promises to be with us. And we also see The Father also disciplines us. See in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11 through 12. 
My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, and do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those whom he loves as a father, the son he delights in. How many of you have a kid and don't discipline them at all? Scripture paints this image of God as Father. It means that he disciplines us. And we see that with Jesus, too. When you look at his ministry, Jesus disciplines people. He rebukes people. But if you look at the way that Jesus does it, it's often not in the image that we think God treats us. That God corrects the waywardness and the sin in our lives. Sometimes it can be harsh, but oftentimes it's gentle. Oftentimes the discipline of the Lord is gentle, Uh, Romans said, is your kindness, Lord, that leads us to repentance. That often the Lord disciplines us in a very gentle way. You see that in the way that Jesus disciplines and rebukes people. I mean, even in my own life this past few weeks, uh, the Lord showed me uh, some insecurities that I've been having in my life. That if I can just be perfect about everything, then God will bless me and love me. And the Lord spoke to me, I think about a week and a half ago. And said that my insecurities are a form of pride. Because it was me trying to earn God's love. Me trying to uh, get God to bless me. Me trying to do all these things. And if I can just be good enough, then God will love me. And the Lord corrected me and said, you're not resting in my grace. You're not resting in my unconditional love for you. That it was a correction, it was a discipline that the Lord gave me of me going astray, but it was very gentle. It was just sort of like, you know, when you nudge a sheep back on the right path, it was very gentle like that. And so the Lord disciplines us, but often not in the way that we think. And so what does it mean if God is a father? What are the implications of that? It means firstly that God is inherently relational. God is inherently relational. Now, before there was any creation in the beginning of time, you had God the Father loving God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. In other words, it's essential to his very nature. It transcends all of creation. John Wesley has this to say about um, this reality. He says, There was therefore no place before the foundation of the world for faith, either in the general or particular sense, but there was love. Love existed from eternity. In God, the great ocean of love, love had a place in all the children of God from the moment of their creation they received at once from their gracious creator to exist and to love. You know, Ryan read that passage from John 3.16. John 3.16 says it's, it's the Father who sent the Son into the world. Because of the Father's love for the world, he sent the Son that we might have salvation. That God did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world through the Son. And oftentimes we have this caricature of what God is like in our minds. You know, this God of the Old Testament, this mean God, and the God of the New, the nice God. But it was the God of the Old Testament who sent his Son into the world. We tend to look at God through our own lens rather than how he really is. John Wesley, in his sermon on the image of God, he says that one of the things that we lost in the fall was our ability to fully understand people. He says that before the fall, uh, Adam, when he names the animals in Eden, Adam knows 
them so well that he picks names for them that is essential to their essence, essential to their being. And he says that after the fall, we lost the ability to understand one another fully and understand God fully as well. Sorry, my notes were out of order. And so because our understanding has been dimmed or darkened, we tend to form our opinion of God the Father based off the lens of our own experience rather than the truth that we see in Scripture. Because our our vision has been so darkly dimmed, it's like we're seeing through a glass darkly, as the Scriptures say. So we form our opinion of God the Father based on our earthly fathers who tend to be broken people, just like every one of us. And we remember the things that they said to us. Things like, you'll never amount to anything. Maybe it was a neglectful parent, a father who was never there for us, an emotionally distant father, a father whose love it felt like we were always striving to earn. And what we do is we take those experiences we lived as kids and we apply them to our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Uh, We got a new dog yesterday. I'm about to do a dog illustration. And I was wondering, should I do a dog illustration? And then I read scriptures, and scripture, uh, Jesus compares us to sheep all the time. So I'm like, you know what? I think a dog illustration is good. I also don't have kids, so I can't, I don't have anything to pull on. So I'm going to do a dog illustration. When Erica lived in Uganda, her parents had to get a guard dog because she lived uh, in the city of Kampala and white people tend to be targeted uh, in Kampala because of that. So they had to get a guard dog to protect them. And they got it from someone else. And Erica said the dog was super sweet, super nice, super gentle. It was never an aggressive dog unless someone carried a stick around the dog. And she said what happened is the dog would start barking and jumping and trying to attack the person Because there was something in this dog's past that made him associate seeing a stick with bad memories, with maybe being hurt, maybe with being bitten. And I think that's how it often is with our relationship with the Lord as well. That there's something within our past, within our memory, and when we hear, or even just hearing the name of God, or even hearing the name God the Father, it reminds us of a disappointment we've had with God, a negative memory we've associated with God, or a negative memory in our past that we then take and apply to God. But friends, one of the hopes of the gospel is that we also serve a God who desires to heal. That God just doesn't want to heal our physical bodies. He wants to heal our emotional and inner soul wounds. I'm going to invite the band back up. That God desires to heal us. That God the Father desires to have compassion on us. That God desires for us to see him as he truly is. And we are having our healing and prayer uh, service tonight. If you feel like this sermon has brought up any wounds that you've experienced in your past, I would just encourage you to come and receive healing prayer. Because it's about healing from those wounds. It's about healing from those things that we take and apply to God. And then we can see him in the fullness of his beauty as he really is. Because when Jesus came and healed people, when Jesus walked among us and revealed the fullness of God, he revealed the fullness of his character as well. And then 
when we read about God in the pages of our scripture, we let that be the primary witness and driver in our lives, not our negative experiences we've had in the past. As we transition to communion now, we remember that our God, before he died, took bread, gave it to his disciples, broke it, said, this is my body which is broken for you. Whenever you eat of it, do it in remembrance of me. And then once the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to God the Father, said, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink of it, do it in remembrance of me. And so, Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and juice. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by your blood, by your Spirit. Make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until you, Jesus, come in final victory. And then we feast at your heavenly banquet forever and ever. Amen. Would you now say the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray together? Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, friends, we are gonna have two communion stations up here at the front. And then two in the back as well. You can pick whichever one you desire to go to. Would you just come and taste and see the goodness of the Lord? Would you come and receive, friends?